Welcome to the Bards FM podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to a conversation with Nick Searcy and Chris Bergard, who did Capital Punishment. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots. And today is Monday, June 20th in the year 2022. Tonight we have a great interview. It's an interview with both Nick Searcy and Chris Bergard, who produced and directed and produced Capital Punishment. Now, if you have not seen that film, that is a film that was on done on January on the event of January sixth. I believe it was released last November, and I recently watched it. And it's just a fantastic piece, and it's very, very relevant for all the nonsense that's going on today up at that puppet show up in D.C. I think you really enjoy this interview. Two great people who really are just different walks of life that have come together to really produce an important message and document an important event. And it wasn't, obviously, it wasn't foreseen that it would go the way it did, but it's a great benchmark in time. Before we get going tonight, make sure you're getting a good night's sleep and do so with a company that is dedicated to patriots. That's my pillow. Now, if you haven't heard, Walmart has decided to go woke and it has canceled all of my pillow products from its shelves. So if you're still shopping at Walmart, reconsider. We need to keep our monies flowing to patriot companies. Mike Lindell is a true patriot, carries Christ in his heart and fights like one of the few people in this country, dumping massive resources to help resurrect and and the truth and to reset our elections of 2020 as they should be. With all that, Mike also has a company that provides amazing products. MyPillow.com forward slash Bards is your landing page for Bards Nation. And there are some amazing sales going on right now. Flash sales right now on MyPillows as low as $19.98 with your promo code. Your promo code is Bards, B-A-R-D-S. You also have the great sales going on right now on my slippers, and these are the all-new terrain four-wheel drive deep mudder, not really, slippers that you can slip on there. But they're fantastic. There's a whole new line of slippers for men and women, and they have an all-terrain tread on them. So you can it's an indoor-outdoor slipper. Amazingly comfort, comfortable. You'll love it. $90 off on a pair. You can't, you can't miss that. And so many more sales. Fantastic things. One six-piece towel sets, the Giza cotton sheets. All these things are on sale right now and tremendous savings. If you, All you have to do is use your promo code. B-A-R-D-S, BARDS. And you can use that promo code anywhere on the MyPillow site, the Frank Speech site, and the MyStore site. So head on over to MyPillow.com forward slash BARDS. Use your promo code BARDS to get great products for your house and home. And in the meantime, supporting an amazing Patriot company. And if you want to speak to a real person, you can call 800-975-2939, 800-975-2939. And you will speak to a Patriot pillow counselor who is on standby to help you Get your home all set up and get a great night's sleep. So, again, MyPillow.com forward slash Bards, promo code Bards. Now, Patriots, before I begin tonight, I want to highlight again the importance of this food issue we are facing. 
And though it's not related directly to tonight's show, it is relevant to everything in our world. I spent about half an hour on the phone today with a very good friend of mine who runs cattle down in Georgia. I just want to relate, and he's got a small farm, and I just want to relate to you some of the realities of what's going on. They're having a tremendously hot weather inversion down there. No rain. They haven't had any rain now for over 30 days. He cannot harvest hay because the hay he was going to harvest is now all dead and dried on the ground. It's just crisp. So now he's left with the number of bales that he had had, he was able to get cut earlier on, which is supposed to carry him through the winter, but his cattle now are having to just roam and graze, which means there's not going to be enough food unless they get a tremendous shift in weather to carry them on into the winter. So that means he's left with having to purchase hay to carry him from the next two months. He has about two months worth of hay to carry them on after that all the way through the winter till spring. That cost at the current rate of hay, because hay has doubled in price, just to get his cattle, and he has a small herd, through the next spring is over $30,000. I bring this highlight to you because this is one snapshot of a small farmer of the disaster that we're facing right now in the food system. If you are not growing your own food, if you have not started, get busy. If you are growing your own food, do everything you can to expand what you're doing, including, if you can, bringing on some sort of small animal, like chickens, rabbits, something like that. But make sure you have reserves to keep going, to keep them sustained. We are seeing an amazing stress on our food system. Putin, I played a piece earlier today on the uh, bended knee program, President Putin even made the comment that the way things are going, there's going to be a famine and it's all going to be at the hands of engineered by the West. That's our government. You have to remember, we are not in the friendly zone. We are in the enemy zone. We're almost behind enemy lines. So I'm highlighting this. We have continued issues of food concerns and stresses on the food system far beyond just the burning of the spontaneous combustion of 100 food processing plants. This is getting to the sustainment of this over time. And you don't recover from these things right away. And that's why I'm also saying this because elections in the fall, great. We get a red wave. We don't get a red wave. It's not going to put food on your table. So don't be dependent on the system. Stock up on supplies. Be very serious about it. Be diligent about it. Make sure you've got enough. I keep pushing this window out. A minimum of three months as absolute minimums. You should really be at about six months to a year of supplies to sustain you plus seeds plus growing a garden because you're going to have to carry this on for a while. We all will need to. And we're going to have a lot of issues coming up in our country of people that are walking around in the cloud believing this isn't going to happen. It is here. And it is moving faster than we thought possible. All right, Patriots, without further ado, this is a great interview tonight. If you have not seen the film Capital Punishment, I would highly encourage you to do so. A really good film with Nick Searcy and Chris Bergard. So take a listen to this. I think you'll enjoy this interview. Great perspective to great people. Here you go. Well, Patriots, I'm really honored today to have two great people on the show, Nick Searcy and Chris Bergard. Nick produced the film and Chris directed the film, Capital Punishment, which is the feature on January 6th. And, and it's a very powerful film and one that I would encourage you all to watch if you have not. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Really glad to have you on. So thank you. Thanks for letting us come on. It's, it's great to be here. Good to be had. 
Well, why don't we start with a little bit, uh, Nick, just a little bit about your background. I mean, people probably know you from a lot of different things, especially your role in Justified, which seems to be very pretty consistent with your character in real life. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that, that, that role in Justified was based on my own father. Um, but yeah, I'm Nick Cersei. I've been an actor for about 32 years. I've got uh, a movie that just came out called Terror on the Prairie on the Daily Wire and uh, another one coming out later this year called The Old Way with Nicolas Cage. And Capital Punishment is the second documentary that Chris and I collaborated on. And uh, we went to Washington on January 6th and saw with our own eyes what happened there. And then none of what the media showed us matched up with what we actually saw. So that's kind of how the movie came about. And Chris, you were there as well. You were doing the filming there as well. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, Nick and I didn't know we were going to about two days before the event, but we both really felt called to be there. So Nick and I went, brought my family, and uh, Nick was filming, I was filming, I had my daughter filming, and we weren't planning on making a movie, but when the buzzers and bells started going off, and then we saw how they were stealing the stay in history and what the, the bigger picture was, uh, when we had the opportunity to make a film about it, we said we have we absolutely have to put the truth down on film. And, uh, and as you see, the, the truth is stranger than fiction, isn't it? It definitely is. I was running actually a whole media platform from remote, and we had about eight citizen journalists on the ground that day reporting back to the central hub, and it definitely is not what is portrayed. We've had a lot of crazy developments since then. The film does an amazing job of getting to that human interest story as a person who's done documentary film, and my focus was Afghanistan, it, you really have captured a lot of the personal story in that. Nick, you've, you had some amazing interviews with people that were just common Americans. I mean, there's no, it wasn't media stars, it wasn't podcast influencers, it was just people. I'm thinking of a couple. One's a pipe fitter and the other guy just ran his own business, mm -hmm. and one of those guys is, is since homeless. Have you followed up with them at all? Oh, yeah. I mean, we've uh, kept up with everybody in the movie. And, uh, you know, a couple of the people in the movie have, uh, you know, they're, they're sen or they've been sentenced. Not sentenced, but they've been convicted either by plea deals or by, uh, by a judge. Um, and it, it really is terrifying and heartbreaking to see what's happening to these people. But what they do is they're, they're piling up all these charges on these you know, like you said, common middle-class, decent Americans who don't necessarily have $200,000 to mount a vigorous legal defense. And they tell these people, if you fight this, you're going to be going before a D.C. jury or a D.C. judge. D.C.'s 96% Democrat. They hate you. And if you don't plea to one of these things, you're facing 20 to 28 years. And so what happens to these people is they take the plea deal, even though they know they did nothing wrong. And in Simone Gold's case, the doctor that's featured in our movie, whose door was broken down, they sent her to jail for 60 days anyway, even after she pled. Uh, I mean, it, it's really terrible. It's un-American. It, and it's, it's unbelievable. You can't believe what is happening to decent, normal Americans never arrested for anything before in their lives at the hands of this government. It's, it is, it's tragic. Chris, as the director, I imagine you have continued to hear from other people as well. Yes, it's, uh, it's, it's actually frightening. I mean, what you see in the movie, when you see um, you know, armored personnel carriers and a squad of tacked up 
FBI agents coming in and breaking down doors and dragging four seven-year-old, four and seven-year-old children, flashbanging them, dragging them out in the cold, handcuffing 12-year-old girls. You don't think that can happen in the United States of America. Then you finish the movie, you release the movie, and you start getting phone calls from like people in our small community um, that haven't left their house in four months because the FBI came to visit them because they had been there that day and never didn't go into the Capitol, wasn't anywhere near there, but a neighbor t- turned them in, said they were there, and the FBI comes to their house, questions them, and you know, they're scared to death, scared to leave their house, scared to go anywhere, scared to ask the phone. Um, these tactics, you know, you have a background in military intelligence. These these tactics are meant to intimidate and to break people. And 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 sadly, they're they're working. They are very effective. They do a great job of intimidation. Nick, the irony I find here is that whole role you played in Justified in the entire series was really about restoring justice within a system that had already been corrupted. And there were so many components to that. Is this kind of like a almost like fiction becomes reality for you in a certain way? Yeah, I don't think that I really uh, had confronted the level of corruption that we're facing in our government until we started making this movie. I mean, they're not even trying to hide it anymore. And this this January 6th committee show uh, that they're they're putting on now is is fiction and it's one sided fiction and it's not even good fiction. It's so it's so obviously one sided that there's no drama at all. If they really wanted to get to the truth of the matter, they should interview the cop that shot Ashley Babbitt. They should interview Ray Epps. They should explore these these possibilities that maybe there were FBI and Antifa people there disguised as Trump supporters, which we know that there were. We show them in our movie but they're not interested in the truth. This is a campaign of intimidation and fear meant to scare Americans into never, ever opposing the government ever again. Have you had repercussions for your own career? Because I know Hollywood is, we wouldn't call Hollywood uh, pro-Trump in any way. (laughs) Well, you know, I'm sure there've been some repercussions, but of course the bullies in Hollywood are also cowards. So they would never say anything to my face. I just sort of don't hear from people I used to hear from all the time. And, you know, that's fine. You know, I, I, uh, I always tell people in Hollywood, we've got to stop being scared of these people. I have done other work. You know, it's not, yeah, I haven't been hired as much by leftist Hollywood lately, but, you know, I've attracted other work. And so I'm, I'm not worried about that anymore. I, I, I don't really, half the time they send me things, my agents send me things and I read them and I go, I really don't want to participate in this anyway. So, you know, whatever I've lost, I've gained a lot more. Chris, in a lot of your camera work, were you carrying a pretty good sized rig? Because you were moving around pretty easily through there. And did you happen to go into the Capitol or were you on the outside the whole time? No, we did not go into the Capitol. Um, Yeah, the rigs were pretty easy. We just used those small Canon C100s. And um, actually some of it is is Nick's footage from his cell phone. Um, We were just blessed to be there all day and we all got split up so we had so many different angles um and then once we started the project uh, folks were just really great in, in coming in and, and helping us with, with footage that they had taken um it's 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 simply surreal how some of the stuff you know i said we were called to, to come there that day i'm not kidding um it, how things worked out we we had this one couple that was um trying to get us to attack the capitol police 
And they were clearly operatives. They were clearly not sincere MAGA Christian conservatives. And we called them out. And when we called them out, they took off. And you saw their handler going behind them with the radio in his ear. And I talked to FBI um, agents on the ground said, hey, you got bad guys here trying to start violence. Do you want me to point them out to you? No. Do you want us to give you a report? Because I'm sure there's going to be some you know, actionable stuff here. And like, no, we're good. Thanks. And then I get home and a buddy of, my fi- buddy of mine finds me this clip of the exact same people not a minute and a half before I ran into him, filmed him, changing from black black clothes into MAGA outfits in the trees right next to where we were. I mean, stuff like that happened all day long. It was, uh, it was truly an interesting, interesting endeavor to be a part of. What is your assessment on each of you? I mean, it, it, what it's looking like from the footage as well is it's, we have a blending of people even wearing police uniforms that were Antifa. And I'm just kind of going through not just your footage, but others. I mean, are, were you seeing a duplicity of roles of people taking on roles not only of MAGA, but then assuming the role of, of Capitol Police or, or other agents? I can't speak to uh, fake Capitol Police. I did not see that. I did see, and I come from a law enforcement background, and my family, my father was a uh, 109th session FBI Academy and, and their liaison program. So I'm pretty familiar with these guys. And I saw behavior that was atypical that day. Um, as far as people proposing to be MAGA, yes. What really stood out for me was that this is a captured operation, 100%. I was on the ground in Honduras um, when they tried to pull a color revolution down there. And my, 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 my bells and whistles were going off when we were walking to Capitol building. I, I, at one point, I, I grabbed my wife and I said, honey, I said, I got a bad feeling. I'm kind of having deja vu back to Honduras. And she says, what are you, what are you talking about? I said, look around. There's a million people around us. And there's, where's, where's the media? Where's Fox? Where's CNN? I said, there's no camera crews here. That tells me that the images that they want to do this event isn't families praying and all these church groups and all this diverse national, uh, all this diverse sort of peoples, there's, there's going to be other images. I got a bad feeling something bad's going to happen, you know, at the Capitol at the end of this March. And just then Nick calls me up. He was ahead of us. He was at the Capitol building. And he said, I just saw them move the bike racks. The Capitol police did. And the Capitol police are letting people into the building. And I looked at my wife and I'm going back to like Tegucigalpa airport. And I'm like, honey, uh, I think someone's going to die today. And you know, two hours later, Ashley was dead. Did you see Ashley? I and mean, you have the footage of her. Nick, did you run into her at all before you, that happened? No, uh, we we didn't know Ashley. You know, before this happened, so um, that footage was gotten from from other people. So, um, but you know, since the movie has come out, there's been other angles of her her death that have been released that we're looking at now. Um, showing that what she was doing in that hallway was actually trying to get people to stop breaking the windows. The media portrays her as some sort of zealous Trump supporter who was trying to break into the Capitol. And she was up there telling people to stop. She was talking to the police saying, you need more reinforcements. What are you doing? There was some guy getting ready to break the window and she slapped him across the face. I mean, this, she was there to try to stop things from going forward. And they paint her as some sort of zealot. And it's it, and what she was murdered. I mean, you you can see it in the in our movie. I mean, there was no justification for the trigger to be pulled. No, that's very true. 
so walk me through the day because the film does a good job of kind of capturing various events, but it does a lot of focus on the personal event. There's obviously a lot of people there. I think the estimates that General Flynn put in the film was something around two million. So, kind of walk me through the day how you each were working because you were you together or were you apart? Were you capturing different footage? What, what was the what was the plan? Well, Chris got up earlier than I did, so he, he <laughs> you know, so we got split up right at the beginning, and then we were going to try to hook up, but the, for some reason, cell phone calls I couldn't reach Chris half the time. I mean. There was some jamming or something going on. A text wouldn't go through, you know, I, so we just kind of wound up being apart. And as a result, we wound up on uh, different sides of the building. Chris was on one side and I was on the other. And like Chris said, that was kind of a, a divine uh, intervention there because we, uh, we were able to film both sides of the building ourselves and, and get both perspectives on what was going on. And Chris, you were with yourself or you were running with the crew? Um, I was, my, my daughter cruised for me when we do shoots around the country. And, uh, my wife is, uh, my wife's pretty good. She's got a pretty good eye too. So you give it either one of those ladies cameras and it's good stuff. You know, it's funny. You were asking me before about what kind of crew we used. And I actually saw some of your guys out there shooting that day. And I, I thought they were doing a pretty darn good job. Um, I was using just the C100, but I have to tell you, when there was, I think General Flynn is probably fairly accurate when he says close to 2 million people there that day. At some point, it was so packed that if I didn't have my camera above my head, I couldn't get up. I was I missed shots, literally, because it was so packed in, I couldn't get my arms up to, to shoulder height to bring the camera up. It was, uh, I, I've been to, I've been going to, to protests, rallies for 17 years. I've been to many in, in D.C. This is by far the largest one I'd ever seen. It actually dwarfed the Tea Party one from over a decade ago. Um, and, and the thing about the thing that's a couple of things that stood out you know, after being in these protests for so many years about this one being different. One, they were so nice. It was like so polite. Um, and when you were down around the uh, the ellipse where the president spoke, you didn't see any masks. I mean, you, it was very rare you saw anyone wearing a mask. But then if you look at the footage of the people breaking in, uh, the, the most violent people in the Capitol, it's funny how they're all wearing masks. And um, that was one thing that really stood out. The other thing that stood out besides everybody being so nice was the smell of pot. I didn't, never smelled as much pot at a rally as I did that day. And <laughs> later on, I think that's because most of the people that were smoking pots were, were you know, they'd switch sides and they were operatives. There was no counter protest there. In 17 years, I've never seen a protest with, without any counter protesters. And the reason is counter protesters were all dressed up like us. They were in the crowd. From your research, has it shown that, and I know you had some of the footage in there, is that there was a pretty good, pretty well organized effort by the opposition before they ever got there to make that plan to embed with a MAGA folks and then to cause this violence and insurrection. Absolutely, Scott. I mean, if like I said, from, from being in these things before, but it wasn't just us. There's a fellow in the movie, John Gondolo. John was Force Recon Marine. He was a uh, elite tactical leader, FBI SWAT. He was also the FBI's liaison to the Capitol Police. Um, so if anybody knows what SOP should be for protecting political VIPs, it's this guy. So John was there that day, as was some of his um, ex-Special Forces buddies and some other three-letter guys. And we all saw the same thing. These guys were moving in, 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 in units, squads. They had missions. They had purpose. 
And you could, you just saw them. Like, there's one, there's another one. Oh, there's two over there. Yep, there's their handler over here. If you knew what you were looking for, it was very obvious to anybody there that there was a lot of work and a lot of prep gone into what happened that day. And, and as you hear Michael Waller say in the movie, you know, Michael's, you know, taught at the Naval Cal, uh, College. He's, he's very, he's, a, he's an expert on, on color revolutions. He said that, you know, January 6th was years in the making. And, and I agree with him 100%. Nick, let's go to your legacy of your father, because you mentioned that your role in Justified was kind of the role of your father. And I'm, I'm sure that that was a proud legacy. And, I'm, and just kind of reflect on that a little bit as you're seeing what you're seeing today, because it's a pretty interesting juxtaposition, frankly. Well, it, you know, the, the role in Justified being based on my father, it's, it's because, it, you know, my father ha always had this really great way of expressing himself and he did it with humor. And he, 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 he was a disciplinarian, but it was always with humor. He would make you laugh while he was, you know, while he was correcting you. And, you know, what's happening today is that there, you know, the, the old days that we grew up, uh, you know, as old as I am, I remember that we were supposed to question authority, that we were supposed to, you know, inspect what we were being told by our government. But all of a sudden now we're, we've reached a point where the, the entire left side of America is saying, obey your government. Oh, do, do what they say. If you don't do what they say, you're a racist, you're an insurrectionist, you're a white supremacist, you're a domestic terrorist. If you don't obey blindly, without inspection, everything the government tells you to say, you are, are, an, are a villain. And I think we've reached this really strange tipping point in America where the, the people who believe in the Constitution the most in the concepts of individual liberty and the pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, those people now are considered criminals by this administration. And you see the most patriotic people in our, in our country, people who believe in the Constitution the strongest, they're the ones that are being sent to prison. They're the ones that are in, in, in trouble with the judicial system. And it's, I don't know exactly how this turns out, but it can't go on like this much longer. You make a bit of a parody in the film, a good one. I mean, you played your own role, but you was, have you been questioned by the FBI? And you something to the effect in the film, you say, uh, no, but I'm waiting. Yeah. Have you had any interaction with by the FBI? Well, no. I mean, even while we were all making the film, I mean, we were making the joke that, you know, why are all these people being investigated? And I haven't been. You know, why have they not broken my door down? I didn't do anything any more that, or less than these people did. And, you know, we kept joking all through the film. Boy, if they did, we better have the cameras ready. That would make a great ending if they did come and get me, you know. But, yeah, I, that's the arbitrary nature of it is, is also a mystery. And I believe that they are targeting people either that are considered enemies of the state because of previous actions like Simone Gold, who, you know, they already hated her because she came out against the COVID vaccine. So they wanted to punish her. And the other category of people are people who can't fight back. You know, they want to go after people who do not have the means to mount a vigorous legal defense and who do not have the visibility to shine a light on what they're doing. And, you know, I, I still question to this day, everybody still says to me, 
I wonder why the FBI has not come after you. And, you know, maybe they will. I don't know. <laughs> I just said it would make one heck of an ending. You could do a, yeah. You could do a and it would make me look like, you know, then I'm sure I'd get a lot more work in Hollywood. It would make me so much more famous. <laughs> Chris, you, your work down in Honduras and you mentioned you in, in the film as well, the color revolution. So this was not new to you. I know it's, it was new to many in the idea of what a color revolution was. And so you have obviously been through one and with enough to see the signs of what that looked like or the, the beginnings of that looked like in DC. Could you elaborate a little bit? Well, you know, color revolution uh, usually happens after a contested election and you get, you'll get forces on two sides. In Honduras, you had the red, which were the followers of Mel Zelaya and on the side of Hugo Chavez. And you had the blue, uh, in Honduras, which they were the constitutionalists. Um, here you have the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers on one side. You have BLM and Antifa on the other side. Then you put operatives into both of those groups. They stir up trouble. They stir up chaos. And while this chaos is going on, you basically have your core players that go in and steal the government. Uh, that's what they tried to do in Honduras. It didn't work. It did work in Venezuela. It worked in Egypt. And it worked most recently, effectively, back in 2014 in Ukraine. And um, the wild thing about that is there, you know, we were running into Ukrainians that day. There are documented people from, that were players in the Ukraine revolution that you don't know how they get in the United States of America, you would think with their background, but not only we're in the United States of America, but we're in D.C. and we're in D.C. on that day. And they were taking selfies with the Buffalo Horn dude, with Jacob. I mean, it's... Uh, a lot of coincidences there. And the biggest thing for me was it was just so surreal. It's like, this can't be happening in the United States. This can't be happening in the United States. And the more we got into it and the digger, the, the deeper we dug, yeah, that's exactly just what happened. They, they, they actually just did it here in the United States of America. Nick, your new film, Terror on the Prairie, kind of takes an interesting, I mean, you're kind of playing more of the villain side on that, but there is a real patriot sense to that film. I, mean, I don't know if that was intended, but it, in this time where you really have against all odds kind of standing up, isolated, alone, kind of out in the middle of nowhere, is, was that the intent or is that just kind of just an outcome? I mean, because you're, you're, you definitely have an interesting theme in your films that are coming out right now, which I just find very interesting. Well, yeah, I think that was, you know, the Daily Wire, when they set out to make Terror on the Prairie, they weren't trying to make any sort of political statement. They were just trying to make a good Western movie. But I think the Western genre is based on, you know, self-reliance and, and you know, fending for yourself and, and taking, you know, taking care of your own side of the street and that sort of thing. And there's loyalty in it, even, even in this movie where I play, you know, uh, what is considered the bad guy. I mean, there's a code among my fellow outlaws and we are acting on a principle that we believe in wholeheartedly. Um, you know, I don't want to say what it is because it'll give away the whole plot of the, mo of the movie, but, you know, my character has, uh, has a good reason to be angry. <laughs> and so I think in, in that sense, it, it really does uh, resonate with what's going on today. I mean, there's a lot of angry Americans out there and we have good reason to be angry. Our country's being stolen from us. Our economy is being deliberately destroyed by the Biden administration. I mean, it's not Joe Biden himself because he can't make a bowl of oatmeal. Um, but, you know, his, his, the people behind him 
are deliberately destroying this country because they want to replace it. They believe it is an evil, racist country, and they want to take away the concept of the individual liberty. And that individual liberty is what is the major theme of terror on the prairie. You just hit on something I think is what I talk about a lot, which is one of the challenges we currently face is the degradation or loss of kind of a moral foundation in our nation. We've just been kind of very much adrift, very much in the me sense. And as you pointed out, and, and it does come out in from what I've seen of, of uh, terror on the prairie is that there is a moral code that they're each living by. And it is also that you need to endure and overcome What's your thought on that and like where be we be, were before January 6th and where we are today? Because I'm seeing a change. I'm seeing a change of a reawakening of that spirit. Well, I hope that that reawakening is, is happening. I think the danger that we are facing now is that even if we all, enough of us do reawaken and enough of us do try to vote out these criminals that have destroyed our country, they are in the process of perverting our election laws and not honoring these laws so that even if we rise up and vote them out, they still stay there because they steal the elections. And if we don't safeguard against that, if we don't start making our elections more uh, secure and legitimate to make sure that our our voice is heard, we're going to be ruled by a a minority of uh, leftists, which is how leftists always take over a country. You don't vote in socialism or communism more than once. And uh, after that, no matter how you vote, you can't get rid of them. Chris, you've seen this firsthand. I, I saw it a lot in, in, in Middle East. What's your thoughts? A hundred percent. You know, Nick is spot on with what he just said. Um, you know, while everybody's watching the J6, I mean, the J6 hearings are just, you know, it, it, it's not even good propaganda. I don't think Lenny Rufenstahl would even be proud of what they're doing there. Um, no. But everybody's looking at that. Meanwhile, we're, there's stuff we're not paying attention to. You know, the ballots, the Dominion machines, all those records are supposed to be kept for 22 months. Well, that, that ends September 3rd. So while we're running around in circles while they're stealing the country and they're trying to get us all looking at the hearings, which aren't, aren't getting any traction. I mean, I think I think uh, size wise or ratio wise, our, our film, One American News Network, played capital punishment as counter programming to the J6 hearings. The J6 hearings couldn't get enough ratings to come back on last Wednesday. Meanwhile, One American News Network was being flooded with, with support from the MOOC for showing capital punishment. So I think that just shows that, you know, we're, we, there's a hunger to get to that tipping point of truth that you're talking about, an awakening of knowledge. Um, I firmly believe that the enemy has tried to incite civil war between us for years, and especially the last two years. I think that they tried to, by putting BLM and Antifa on the streets and burning down our cities and causing billions of dollars and, and murdering people. They thought that, that, that you know, white rednecks or somebody, was whatever they, they, they think we are, would, would come out and, and fight back. And when that didn't happen, I think that really surprised them. But I st- still think they're trying to push us to violence. When you just saw that leaked message memo come out on the Supreme Court on Roe v. Wade, all of a sudden Antifa was taking to the streets. Well, I'm sorry, I hadn't heard Antifa in the last three years claim to be, you know, pro-choice. I didn't know that was one of their issues. So I, I really think that if we can get to a, a point of awareness in this in this country that we see, they pull the scales back, we see how they're trying to manipulate us, that we will avoid violence in this country. And that's my biggest hope that we can we can overcome and win this thing legally 
um, because I firmly believe the enemy is, is trying to, to divide this country into civil war. Yeah, they ha they have to destroy the moral fabric of the country in order to advance. And so by destroying the family unit, by, by making sure that all morality is a gray area and anybody who says there's a difference between right and wrong is a bigot, they are destroying this country's ability to police itself. And like, uh, like it was said early on in the, when they were writing the constitution, this, this, this document is only valid for a good uh, and moral people. It won't work uh, with, with a, a people that is not morally sound. Nick is absolutely right. When you take God out of a country, you don't fill it with more good stuff. I mean, that, that space gets filled with something, and it's being filled with this agenda. If you read Cloverton and Pliven, if you read Linsky, if you've ever watched, you know, studied Mao, studied Stalin, you, you have an army of useful idiots, and in order to take down the state, you have to, you have to raise the, the state's first interaction with the people. What is that? It's law enforcement. It's a thin blue line. Okay, so you have two years to defund the police. We have weakened police. Um, neighborhoods are going to chaos. San Francisco and L.A. are just completely a, a, a mess. And then you have the federal government come in and say, oh, let, let me put federal troops out there to run stuff. Now you have Nancy Pelosi, because of January 6th, wanting to put Capitol Police headquarters into California and into Florida with the stated purpose of finding the rest of the you know, hundreds of thousands of people that were there that day. This is very, very frightening. But if you know history and if you know their playbook, this is what they have done over and over and over to bring down other nations. And it's actually being done in real time while we're doing this interview. I find it amazing in when you look at the intensity of the, the strike, the one, the, the FBI raids. But I mean, I know some of these guys, those types of guys. And I, what concerns me the most in these stories is that there's a blind obedience to orders and not a questioning of that. As, as Mike Waller says in the movie, there absolutely is. And these are good guys. But they've been told over and over to take an oath. They've taken an oath to swear to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. But they haven't read the Constitution. They don't understand the Constitution. And now they're being told that the domestic enemy is us and the, so and the same said, go ahead chris no no sir go ahead nick you're good well the same thing has happened to the military and to the fbi and our law enforcement has has happened to academia basically when obama became president he started drumming out all the people out of these agencies that were in favor of uh, liberty and so a lot of you get, you know, people like General Milley, who's in charge of uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff. You know, you you have drummed out all the people that disagree with you so that you have faithful stooges like James Comey, like Christopher Ray, in positions of power. And they have been able to corrupt the entire institution that way so that if you disagree with them, you don't get promoted. They just drum you out same way they do it at universities. Make no mistake, the Constitution is the enemy here. As you see in the movie at Derek Innocent's house, um, they found a box of pocket constitutions on a shelf in his garage. They pulled that box down. They pulled those constitutions out, and they filmed them like they were kilos of cocaine. His daughter had pro-Trump stuff up on her wall. She's 12 years old. They, they took that like she was putting up you know, deadly satanic propaganda. 
you know, and then they drag this poor little girl out in her, in her night clothes, you know, out in the freezing cold. It's, it's insane that, that the constitutionalists, that the, the, foundation, the founders of our government are now looked at as, as creating terrorists, while at the same time, our taxpaying dollars for our law enforcement agencies are, are dragging children out into the cold, throwing handcuffs on them, flash bombing, you know, little kids. And the rule of law is gone. When you have Coy Griffith, you know, uh, he's an Otero County, um, New Mexico um, supervisor. When you have a legislator, when you have him coming out and getting arrested at the Capitol for praying at the Capitol, he wasn't in the Capitol building. He was up there with a bullhorn praying for God to heal this land. And he gets put in solitary confinement for three weeks. He's in prison for nine days without a phone call to his family. Nine days, can't call his lawyer, can't call his family. That's not supposed to happen in the United States of America. That's third world revolutionary stuff. I won't get into my whole story now, but they threw me in jail for 20 without charge. And so I've, I've experienced it firsthand. So the film has a very visceral touch with me. Because I can relate to that moment when you've got a U.S. Marshal and a bunch of cops at your door telling you we've got a warrant for your arrest and, and literally trumped up charges completely, which was all thrown out and, and the case sealed. But nonetheless, you're, everything you portray in there is that underbelly of our justice system that most people don't really realize. And so, Nick, I want to kind of go back to that. And obviously, you can tell I've probably watched every show in Justified, but I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> but it is it is a fantastic series on so many levels, especially the role that you play in balance with with the character Raylan Givens. It's really amazing because you're kind of like that guy that's kind of keeping him in bounds as you're trying to do the right thing, and it, and we just don't have that sort of persona in our law enforcement anymore because that character of of Raylan Givens is really that guy out there in the front trying to do the, I guess, execute the justice, if you will. And you're trying to, it always seems like you're trying to keep him in the bounds of like not having him lose his, his complete place. But we don't even have that sort of discussion, it seems, in our law enforcement anymore. No. It's just obedience to, blind obedience to rules. No, in real life now, Raylan's boss would be worse than Raylan. You know, in, in Justified, you know, my character was basically the moral center of that universe. I was the one that going, you know, I understand that you're going a little bit outside the lines here because the person that you're going after deserves this. But if you get too far out of those lines, then you're as bad as he is. And that was the whole purpose behind my character. But nowadays, you, you, you know, you, a lot of these people that are in positions of power are people like Christopher Ray. And they have no, no compunction, no conscience whatsoever about telling absolutely complete, easily disproven lies. And so the people in charge now are corrupt. And that's, that's why I think that's why in, in some ways justified with such a satisfying series, there was, you know, you want Raylan to do what he's doing because you want to get the bad guy, but you also realize that there has to be uh, a way, a legal way to go about doing it. And you have to stay within those parameters. Oh, your character definitely was a great character, Art Mullen, right? Yeah. But it, but kind of a love hate, I would say, because it was always like, come on, just let him do it. Sort of at the re audience response, but you're right. right. I mean, I think that's what's so powerful is that you are trying to keep 
within the boundaries of law where we've kind of lost our way in all of that now and just a blind obedience and propelled even further. I, I will speak, you know, it's difficult for me to see this sort of reaction by tactical teams having worked, having been privileged in my life to work around some of the best in the world and to see many of these guys that have been trained by them do these sort of tactical operations and just ravaging American, innocent Americans' homes. And we go back to the young girls, which I think you've done an amazing job in the film, both of you, to highlight that. And I think that's a, the part of the human connection we have to kind of wake up to, that this isn't, this isn't just some stunt or some passing issue. This is a deep bankruptcy within our entire system at this point in time. And to speak to that, there were a lot of people that we wanted to talk to in the film who were afraid to talk to us. You know, a couple of people that, you know, even one that we interviewed who panicked after the interview and made us take him out of the movie. This kind of instilling this fear into people is the point. And that intimidation is working. It's working so well that you don't even know how well it's working because of all the people who are afraid to come forward, who are afraid to say anything because they're afraid they're going to, you know, their lives are going to be made worse than they already are by the government. Either that or they're afraid they're going to get arrested like they see so many other people doing. And so they're, they are silencing themselves to protect themselves and uh, helping the government continue to mask this tyranny that it's perpetrating. And it is. Chris, thoughts on that? No, Nick's 100% right. We had three people we were working with making this film that all got arrested halfway through production. And uh, I, had to, I had to stop and redo, re-edit uh, the first two-thirds of the movie because one of the fellows who was in the movie was retired law enforcement. Um, mm. He was actually a retired police chief. He had been to the FBI Academy in Quantico, Virginia, graduated from it. He knew he was tactically trained at how to handle large crowds. So he was our through line being there that day to everything that was wrong. And everything from fire extinguishers being left on, on, on the uh, steps to construction equipment to be able to use his weapon. And stuff that all should have been cleared in the walkthrough the night before to the limited presence to their tactics. But then when he got arrested on conspiracy charges, um, everything changed. And this, this is the guy that was the hardest charger out of everyone. And, um, they broke him, you know, nice guy, great guy, but they, they broke him. And, uh, he's like, please take me out of the movie. Take me out of me. I, I, I can't be a part of this now. And, and um, it's and really all sad. of these people, all of these people like Simone, uh, you know, the, the, the other people in the, in the movie that have pled guilty out of fear, even though they knew they didn't do anything wrong. Brandon Straka, another one pled guilty out of fear. They, they are breaking these people and they are making them into felons. And that way, when you're a convicted felon, no matter how many days you spend in jail, you can't vote anymore and you can't own a firearm. They're basically trying to neutralize these people so that they're not part of the political system ever again. And they're gonna, what they're going to do is they're going to use that. They're not only doubling down on that, but obviously as now you see it uh, playing out in real time. You, you build up, uh, you set precedent with all these people you arrested, you've thrown in jail, you have these convictions, and then you go after the president. And you say, well, he was the leader of this insurrection, and that way you charge him, you indict him, and hopefully you keep him from running for president in 2024. Of the people that are in the film, a couple of them in, the, in your end notes, one family has become homeless, um, which is real tragic. And Have you followed up with that particular family at all, either of you? 
Yes, we, we stay in regular contact with you're talking about Tony Martinez. Yeah, they were homeless, lost his jobs. Um, it is the reason they lost the lease on their house. And these, these are folks who lived in your average, really nice middle-class suburb. And they lost their home because the FBI told their landlords that he was guilty of hate crimes. And so they used the hate crimes clause in, in their contract to kick out this really nice Hispanic family. So uh, Tony's family had to move in with his mom and Tony was in Texas for a while working. Then he was up in Washington working, you know, wherever he could get jobs as a pipe fitter with all this stuff against him so that he could, you know, keep his family off the streets. And um, he's, he's doing okay. And as is the Kinison family who have been put under extreme duress. And now they're being not, not only conspiracy charges against them and instruction, but they're also being sued by the Capitol police on a personal basis. So I think for like $1.6 million or something like that. Um, what sustained them is their faith. And the interesting thing about the police chief that, that we had to take out of the film uh, about Derek Kinison, about Tony Martinez, all these guys that are charged with conspiracy and instruction they never went into the Capitol building. They were never inside there. But one of the common threads they do have is Derek and Tony were leaders in their church. They worked on security teams in their church. Um, they helped organize local businesses to board up their businesses when they thought BLM was coming in for a riot. Um, the other fella helped organize Trump caravans and anti-vax um, protests. So you start to see this through line of cut the head off the snake, take out the leaders. And um, it's interesting that the people, the, the folks that haven't given up are the people of faith. And in California, luckily, there's a very strong church network out there, Pastor Tim, Pastor Phil, Jack Hibbs, Rob McCoy. And luckily, these folks have a good support issue for freedom out there, because as, as John Lewis said, you know, resistance to tyranny is obedience to God. And that's how these men live their lives, and that's why they're so dangerous to the state. Our country was literally founded on the pulpit. We go back and we look at the Black Robe Regiment, and we even look at the beginning of the Declaration of Independence, which was written by one of the pastors in the early 1700s. And today, we've we I've known you had Greg Locke on in the film, which is good. I mean, we got some firebrands out there, but we've also had a lot of compliance to the state with the church, which is sad. For yourselves, how has this affected your own relationship with God and, and your faith in, in, in things, in this experience? Well, I'd say in my case, it's drawn me closer to, to my faith, and it's made me seek out people like Pastor Rob McCoy and uh, Pastor Tim, as, as Chris was saying, and, and you know, to, to really seek out people who actually follow the Word of God and, and, and hold God above government. And there's so many pastors out there that have disappointed me, you know, that, that in closing their churches and accepting these, these ridiculous pronouncements as, as, uh, as gospel, um, you know, it, it's really made me kind of uh, focus on and, and, and solidify my beliefs and, and the people that I want to follow and surround myself with. Yeah, it's absolutely, uh, we live by faith. Um, if you looked at what's happened in our lives in the previous years and month to month moving forward, we absolutely live on faith because it's so obvious that God's hand is in all this. And he, he's, he's putting the team together for those that will stand up for him and for this country. Um, you can't let the government tell you that you're not essential. 
you know, your faith in God. And that's what you've seen happen in the church now. There's a division in the church between the churches that said, no, we are essential, and those that just went, okay, please don't hurt us. Please don't take away our, our tax exemption status. And uh, just innerly for my whole family, this is, it's brought us closer together. It's definitely made us more dependent on him. We're seeing that beautifully rise. I mean, this, is, this channel's been built on two principal issues, faith and knowledge. God's blessed, is really blessed with a massive growth and reach in this, especially since November 3rd when this whole thing happened. We definitely need to reclaim a lot of that to get that get God back on the throne in this nation. Nick, what's next for you? I know you mentioned you have a couple new films coming out. Can you kind of give some highlights to that? Well, um, yeah, The Old Way is a, uh, another Western that we shot in the uh, same town as we shot Terror on the Prairie. It's strange. I did The Old Way before Terror on the Prairie, and and then went right back to the same town to do terror. And uh, it's going to come out later this year, October or so. And I'm the title role in that one, too. In Terror on the Prairie, I'm the terror. And in the old way, I'm the old guy. So, you know, I'm, I'm the title role in both. I'm going to do uh, a little project this summer in Oklahoma, a potential series called Redemption Oklahoma, which is a uh, more or less a Christian series, but it's not, uh, it's not a Christian series in the faith-based sense. We, it's, it's, a, it's a just a, you know, what they're trying to make is a, a normal mainstream television series that has embedded Christian themes and is not sort of overly obvious about it. And it's about a, uh, a, uh, a, a preacher who's fallen and who's basically now a homeless, drunken derelict, and it's about his journey back to to sanity. And for some reason, they thought I could play a homeless, drunken, derelict preacher. So um, I'm going to do that this summer. And uh, and there's a few things uh, that might potentially happen, but I don't want to jinx them by <laughs> saying right now. But, you know, it's a, it's, it's a very exciting time for me. Um, I'm working with people at the Daily Wire, people that I agree with, you know, I, it's it, it's been a pleasure to go to work the last year because I've been working with a lot of like-minded people, and it's it's been such a, a relief to not be in the minority on a set for a change. And uh, I hope that continues to happen. There's a whole new whole new uh, delivery system for entertainment that's being built out there for the audience that's being underserved by Hollywood because the Hollywood literally hates. Uh, anyone who doesn't agree with the Democrat Party. That's very true. Chris, how about yourself? What's coming up? Um, man, I'm swamped right now. Absolutely pushing this movie out because it's it's the censorship we've had on this film. You know, it's been out since Thanksgiving. And it, the algorithms and the, you can't buy ads on Fox, can't buy ads on Newsmax. Trying to get the word out about the movie has just been, that's, that's a full-time job and it's in and of itself. Um, I'm also, uh, I just committed to a two-year project uh, on the border, working with Tom Homan, Trump's former ICE director. Guy's a hell of a warrior. Um, and uh, I don't know. And then is there going to be a sequel? It's maybe. We'll see. Nick doesn't know it yet, but we may have to put him back to work. The nation <laughs> still needs him. Yeah. Well, well, well yeah. I think that the story is continuing. And whether we actually make a sequel or not, the, the, real, the real lesson from capital punishment is that this is not over. They're never gonna let this go. They're going to run this as far as they can run it 
and try to really destroy the lives of as many people who disagree with them as possible. That's what leftist totalitarians always do. They've done it throughout history, and now they're trying to do it here in America. Chris, just to your point before we wrap up here, the um, I ran into similar issues with my own film. So I've been in when I did my film, it came out in 2018 on Afghanistan. So uh, I'll I'll be glad to send you a copy because it's it's literally on the ground. But it just got uh, it was, was awarded an Emmy in 2007 for best photography, so it was uh, an interesting time. Wow! I, wow! I want to see that. Please, please do get it to me. And um, you know, and if folks want to see our film, um, they can stream it or they can get the DVD at GiveMeLibertyNow.org. Okay, that's great. And and what I also and maybe we can talk offline because I wonder if there's a way to sponsor it to get more people to view it. I don't know if that's possible, but Chris, maybe you can. You know what? There absolutely is. We could, and I would love to partner up with you guys to, to work on something like that. And um, we we actually have some very effective ways to do that. All right, let's let's um, let's do that in near future because I'd like to get it out, gentlemen. We always close with a prayer. If that's okay, we'd like to do a prayer as we close today. Please go ahead, Heavenly Father. I just want to thank you for this blessed meeting and and two great heroes here of just telling the truth in a time when truth is so challenging and when a time when bringing the darkness to the light is so essential. Father, we just ask that as you continue to guide us all and and guide voices like Nick and Chris as we move forward here to be able to continue to protect them, guide them in what they're doing, elevate up those inspiring stories and the stories that reveal truly what we are as a nation and to help revive that true sense of being a patriot and a true sense of the love in you. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Very much an honor talking to you, Nick. So thank you for coming on. Chris, the same. It was a real honor here. So, But let's be honest, Scott. It, it was more of an honor to talk to me than it was to talk to Chris, right? Come on. <laughs> but everybody, everybody already knows that, Nick. I mean, that's just a given. I really want people to see this. I, I don't... Uh, I was I would actually be very honest. I was surprised it wasn't easy to find on the web, and um, and I you know I thought it would just be real quick and easy, and I I did find it, it, but it wasn't as easy as I'd hoped it would be, and that's telling me it's probably not getting the viewership that it deserves because it's a great piece, it really is, and I I, I I don't think I said that enough in there, but it really is a great piece. You did a great assembly of work, both of you, um, and and Nick, you you do a great job, uh, as I kind of. I do want to say this, you do a great job in there of taking the serious, but also providing enough levity in it. I think the message sinks in well and, and, and good. And, and one other thing just on that, you really, you, it was pretty courageous. And I would be honest, when I first saw you going that way, I wasn't real sure, but I love the way you wove in the Kennedy issue. Nicely done. Well, thank you. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like, that's one of those instances you're telling me now that we should trust the government after the JFK situation? Really? Right. No, it was, it, it was a good one because I think that seed, it's one of those things that just kind of, it goes there in the film. When you first, first came through it, I'm like, that's kind of a, it was a different segue. Yeah. And then I left it going, wow, that was good. Cause that just kind of left that thing to just grow. <laughs> yeah. No wait. Well, you know, we had to make a few jokes here and there or otherwise watching that film would be like, being in a plane crash or something. It would be just so depressing, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, gentlemen, I wish you a very blessed day. Thank you again, and uh, we'll be in touch. Bet. God bless, Scott. Thanks a lot, God bless. Scott. God bless, Nick. God bless, Chris. God bless. Well, Patriots, Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Patriots, that was 
Nick Searcy and Chris Berger, two great people. Hope you enjoyed the interview. That was uh, they really have captured something very important with the film Capital Punishment, and you can find that film at GiveMeLibertyNow.org. GiveMeLibertyNow.org. It's a great piece. Please take time to watch it, and I think you'll be your eyes will be opened quite a bit. They've because it's just really one of these films that was not intended to be what it became, if you see what I'm saying. They went there to document January 6th, and it ends up being the insurrection, another form of the insurrection of the color revolution. So quite the thing. Great people, great film. And uh, I'll put the link up underneath for that film. I'll put the link up underneath this podcast when it goes up tonight. So, Patriots, one thing we have to keep in mind is that we are act- actively in a war. These people are not stopping, and they're not going to stop, and no one is going to come save us. The world is being unraveled. The unipolar world, which we were leading, has been demolished, and it's collapsing, but this evil still persists. And as you heard in this interview today, the, and you've heard me say it many times, the concern that we have is the obedience that people in law enforcement and in the military have to the tyranny. They don't have an obedience to the people because they've not spent enough time even understanding what the constitution is about. That's going to put a lot of onus on us and we are into a difficult time. Uh, Food, energy, the system is unraveling. And unfortunately when tyranny starts to unravel, and again, I, I caution anybody from waving this flag of, you know, Patriots are in control and the military is going to make things right. I'm the military is in itself broken. That isn't to say there aren't good people in the ranks, but the leadership in our military to the large degree is broken. So this is time for us to get very serious about our community, about our food, about our stocks, our supplies, because things are starting to unravel and unravel very quickly. Patriots, keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. Keep your prayers up for a strong nation and a nation of healing, especially to awaken these hearts. God is with us. You'll never forsake us. And in the end, God will always win. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We're at war. Walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tonight for Fishers of Men. Until then, or until the next time, God bless, and out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward, by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal. But that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made. 
Therefore, they can be solved by man, and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable, and we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs and hardships, as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who move forward, and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy, the faith, the devotion, which we bring to this endeavor, will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. thousands of years to show its face. It has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples, it has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. Push. We climb. We never give in. We become the nightmare that evil didn't know could exist. We pray. We stand. We live by the words in God we trust. We fear nothing. We are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath. 